I'm not going to preach John 20. I'm going to tell you about the mercy seat. Okay? When you hear that term mercy seat, um, God told Moses, I want you to build a box. We'll call it the Ark of the Covenant. And I want you to put three things inside this ark. Overlay it with gold. Put some cherubim that grow, that their faces were looked down the lid of it, made of gold. And inside of it, I want you to put Aaron's rod that budded. I want you to take some of the manna from the wilderness and put it in there. And I want you to put the broken law inside this box. And then he said, I want you to tell the priest for the nation, every year I want them to celebrate Yom Kippur. That little word Kippur is the Hebrew word for covering. Sometimes we make it mercy seat, covering seat. It's the word for atonement, a place to be covered. And I want the priest once a year to take a lamb that he set aside, like Exodus 12 we look, set it aside on the 10th of the month, the month of Nisan. And for three days, observe that lamb to see if it has anything wrong with its eyes, if there's any blemishes. It must not be blemished or the high priest will be killed. And then I want this high priest to go in, and he's got the outer court, he's got the inner court, and then you have this thick curtain where the Ark of the Covenant was, and nobody was to go in there who didn't take the blood of an innocent lamb or they'd be killed. What they did eventually, they learned to tie a rope around the priest in case God killed him because you couldn't go back and retrieve the body. The only way they could get him out of the Holy of Holies was to drag him out with a rope. So once a year, God said, I can only tolerate the human race, I can only tolerate you, Israel, if you shed fresh blood every year in front of me, but it will never get rid of sin. It's only giving you a time payment, but the balloon payment comes due at the cross. This is only buying you another 360 days, another 360 days. So it comes to the 14th of the month. This high priest, he must be without blemish. He must be washed. He must be as ceremonially clean as he can get. And God, in essence, says, my justice is looking down on a broken law. And once a year, I want you to put blood and sprinkle it right here. Let's say this is the lid. I want you to sprinkle the blood of this lamb all over. And the message is this. Underneath that blood is the law you broke. 
is the man that you despised and the rod that budded when men questioned the authority of Aaron. And once a year, I'm going to pretend like this took care of your sin because in the forbearance of God, he overlooked sin, but it never did get rid of it. He forbore. Romans 3. He just, I'll put it away. I'll put it away. And he said in Hebrews, can the blood of goats and animals ever get rid of your sin before God? Never. But he was illustrating, illustrating, sprinkle that blood. And so they named it the mercy seat, the ark of covering. And what is saying, we're offenders. We have sinned against God. And only somebody giving their life gives us a right to stay alive. It's the mercy seat. Now, I want to read to you a verse. Listen to 1 John chapter 2, where he says that Jesus Christ right now in heaven is our mercy seat. It says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Think of it as a legal defense attorney with the Father, Jesus the righteous. He is the propitiation or the mercy seat for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What used to be a piece of furniture has now been transferred to a person. And now the mercy seat that you run to is not a piece of furniture, but it's a risen Savior who has satisfied God's anger about your sins against his law, about your running from him, about you ignoring him, about all of the sin problem we all live with. He said, he is the place where I can meet a guilty sinner and not have to destroy you. For when you come to Christ, you found the place where God's mercy overcomes justice. It satisfies justice and at the same time extends mercy. Listen to what 1 John 4.10 says. He says this, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the mercy seat, propitiation, the satisfactory payment. At the mercy seat, God smiles. I'm satisfied about the crime done against me. I've been fully paid. You know what's so terrible about our justice system? It's neither just nor merciful. It's become lousy. If you got the right lawyer, the guilty still goes free. And you can accuse an innocent man and him serve 10 years before they find out the DNA proves he didn't do it. 
And so we imprison him. We neither restore him, for prison does not restore. It does not rehabilitate. It just teaches him more ways to be a criminal because you're corrupted by the population in that prison. But at the mercy seat, the judge of the universe said, I could set the captive, the criminal free, and I'm totally satisfied with a payment that is a thousand times, as it were, above anything ever required. For my son has become the place of mercy. Now, Look at Revelation, the same writer, John. Revelation chapter 5. He sees a scene. Let me read it for you from verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. The lamb runs all the way through Scripture. We saw him in Genesis 4 for Abel. We saw him in Leviticus 16, a lamb for the nation. We saw him in Exodus 12, a lamb for a household, the Passover night. We saw the lamb in Isaiah 53, he shall be dumb like a lamb before the shearers. We see him in John 1:29, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And now we go and we kill the lamb. But now John sees a picture of where the lamb is now. He's up here. He's up here, and he's sitting on a throne, and he had been slain. No live lamb could ever save you. It has to be killed. Imagine what God was willing to do in order to save you. Kill the lamb. But the lamb was not just a lamb. He was also a son. You see, down in Egypt on the Passover night, they were trying to spare the eldest son. But at the cross, the eldest son died and the lamb died. They were both the same person. In order to save like a lamb, the son had to become a lamb. And he said, go ahead and slit the throat. I'll die for sinners. See, we, we got what they call a bloody religion. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We don't pull it out of our songbooks. We don't escape it because the blood equals the life. You aren't going to heaven free. You're going to heaven because a lamb died. A lamb was slain. But let me show you, brother and sister, the lamb isn't in the tomb. Make a trip to Israel but I've been to that tomb that they suppose it's somewhere around there. Don't look for the bones. They're just not out there. They're up here. They're up here. Now listen to what he says. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. Dead men don't stand. As though it had been slain, it had, with seven horns and seven eyes. That means complete perfection, complete power, complete omniscience, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. 
And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, blood often in Scripture represents a vicious, violent death, not an ordinary death, a violent death. A lamb didn't die from old age. It died from the juggler being slit. The lamb can't get to the cross and just, I'm sick, I'm dying of a disease, so go ahead, I'll atone for sin. No, 33 years of age, at the prime of life, watched for three years, found no blemish in him, nothing wrong with him. This lamb is healthy, strong, omnipotent, but this lamb, as it were, will have the juggler slit, and he will die as a slain lamb. This is no cheap faith. It has not been cheap to forgive you of your sins. This is the When you sin, don't be quoting the Ten Commandments. I committed adultery. I stole. I did. Oh, yeah, 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 we did. The most atrocious thing that hits me in my sin is it cost my Savior his life to forgive me for it. See a slain Savior. That's what it costs for your sin. It's either Jesus or eternity separated from him. There's no other way. And he said, you've ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Let me tell you about the Exodus story. When they slew that lamb on the 14th of the month, and they were all dressed, ready to escape Egypt. They had their staff. They had their garments girded up. Come on, you're going to leave Egypt. You're going to leave Egypt. Imagine with you, if you will, we've eaten the meal, the Passover meal. We put the blood on the doorpost. And all of a sudden, we hear the ram's horn. We're leaving Egypt. We're finally going to inherit the land God promised Abraham. 430 years of slavery being treated like dirty dogs. We've been liberated. This lamb's blood worked. It worked. The death angel passed over. And now we hear the ram's horn. Let's get to packing. No more making bricks for Pharaoh. We're getting out. We're going to get our own property, going to get our own vineyards, going to get our own wells. We're going to get a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's go. And they start out. Imagine, just imagine, three days out in the journey, and all of a sudden that little lamb they killed is traveling with them. They named their lambs, you know. They were household pets for the children. And whatever this lamb's name that the children, could you imagine three days on the journey, the lamb shows up? This can't be. We, 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 just, we just slew you back here. 
You can't make the journey with us. Our lamb rose again after three days. And he's making the journey with us. He's making the journey. One reason he told them to eat the lamb, guess what? On this journey, you've got to keep eating on the lamb. He's the mercy seat that Randy ran to. A broken boy, a drug addict, a hoodlum, a boy that ought to have been in prison or killed. But guess what? He heard the voice of the mercy seat, and it wasn't a piece of furniture that talked to him. It was a risen, slain lamb. And today, we don't offer you a dead lifeguard. We don't offer a dead lifeguard. I never learned to swim well. One reason is I went to Nystrom. They sent me to the Richmond Plunge with about 300 other kids. How do you learn how to swim? It was just a miracle you survived the lesson. <laughs> All these kids dunking you and pushing you. And I used to walk down to the plunge from 6 in Virginia. That's where I learned to drown. <laughs> Anybody go to the plunge? Anybody? Look at there. This is the vintage people of this church. <laughs> they grew up in Richmond. But you know, I often have said... It would not be comforting if they had a plaque to the world's greatest lifeguard that died last year. And I'm drowning now. I'd just soon have a poor lifeguard that's alive than a great one that died. But I got, you know, I tell our staff, there's nothing great about Valley Bible. Nothing great. Weak preacher, weak congregation, sin, this. Please never, never brag on this church. But I'll tell you something. We've got the best God. We've got the best Lamb. We've got the best message. We've got the best Holy Spirit. We've got the best Bible. You can't beat what we've got. Let's don't talk about us. Let's talk about the lamb. You can't get a better lamb. You can't get a better gospel. You can't get a better Christ. There's none better. And what do we do when we get our eyes off the lamb? We start to say, you know, I am pretty good. Oh, my, 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 my. It's terrible when dirt gets stuck on itself. That's called mud. It's called mud. Let's brag on who is the best. He is the mercy seat. We're going to look at John today where he appeared to a woman. Get the tape from the first servants. I preached John 20. Get it, you can know what I'm supposed to preach. But after that song, how could I preach anything else? You need to come running to the mercy seat. And you know what happens at the mercy seat? Just as he said in the Psalms, that justice and mercy have kissed each other. I heard an old preacher once say, at the cross, God brought his justice and he brought his mercy and they got close enough to kiss each other. And he said, in the middle of the kiss was me. I got all the just payment of God against my sin 
And at the same time, I walked away free because I found mercy. He's not treating us as our sins deserve. You know what ruins Christianity and church folks? You think we're getting to heaven because we go to church. I'm not making it to heaven because I attend church. I'm going to heaven because I've met Jesus at the mercy seat. I've had his blood applied. So I don't have to act religious. I don't have to act preachy. I'm just dressing up with all you Easter folks so I don't look shaggy. So my black brothers, I said, you ought to be the pastors. You outdress me every Sunday. But, but the mercy seat. A man was with a boy at the candy store. He wasn't his boy, but they happened to be there. And it's like so many children, uh, our eyes are bigger than what we have in the pocket. Uh, when I went to Nystrom, I always bought mint juleps. That's why us Howard kids have no teeth left. A lot of dental work. We kept dentists busy. All that penny candy. And uh, the boy was there at the candy store, and he began to want this, want that, and they began to put it in the bag. One of these more sophisticated stores, no mint juleps, must have been a little higher standard. And uh, they got up there and rung it up. The boy had a quarter. It came to a dollar. And so uh, the clerk said, uh, that's a dollar. And the boy was scrambling. He finally, he pulled out, he, he uh, had that quarter. And the clerk said, well, you have to make up your mind. You go, what do you want? And all of a sudden, the gentleman there said, never mind, son, I've got you covered. I've got you covered. What God did for you and I at the cross is he said, I've got you covered. For he made him to be my sin, that he might make me his righteousness. And when I showed up before God, I said, I'm naked, poor, and blind. I, I've run from you. I haven't wanted you. Probably if you didn't hang hell out there, I never would want you because if I could boogie without you, I would because I'm cool. I'm tough. I can make it. And he kept hanging judgment out here. You need a righteousness to get you into heaven, and boy, you don't have it. And so I finally appeared before God. God, I want heaven, but I'm broke. then he said, I've got you covered. I've got you covered. I've got you covered. And the cross, the cross, kafir, kafir, the Hebrew word, Yom Kippur, atonement, satisfaction of the justice of God, and then a risen slam that we adore for all eternity, we will worship the lamb that was willing to be slain to loose us. And he will be alive, and we will touch him. We will handle him. Mary there in John 20, she grasped his feet. She won't let him go. You know, she didn't even know who it was. She thought he was the gardener. You know what gave it away? One word. 
he said, Mary. When he said, Mary, she immediately knew it was the Savior. Miriam would have been the Hebrew name. Miriam. How many Miriams are there in the world, especially Hebrew girls? Thousands of them. It's like, how many Jose's are there? Huh? How many Gonzalez's? Rodriguez? Smith's? Brown's? Howard? Jones? Could you imagine him saying, hey, Jim Jones? No, that's a bad one. He's a bad guy. Uh, Happy Jones. Happy Jones. How can Jesus say her name, a plain word, and her know it? Nobody says your name like Jesus. He said in John 10, I know my sheep by name, and I call them. And it comes right out of the sheepfolds of Israel that they would a lot of times have a flock of probably 50, 60 sheep, not huge herds, but they'd have them, and they'd actually name all these because these lambs were born. They would hold them for months, let them go, but they gave them nicknames. I get tickled at some of you. You never call your kids by what you named them. You get these nicknames, nicknames. Your family got, and, and they know what it is. No one says your name like your parents. My mother had three decimals to her voice. When she got that third level, honey, you better move. <laughs> you better move. Because she stand out on that porch, out in the project, says, come in, Philip. Sometimes she says, Philip Allen, get in here. I keep playing with the kids. Woo, she hit a tenor voice all of a sudden. I knew who that woman was. <laughs> and I knew I had better move. How can you hear his voice today? He's speaking to you by his witnesses and by his word. He's speaking to you. You know, uh, Carol and I, we didn't have many letters between us because I was always local. She's conquered. That's like another country in those days. Uh, and, uh, but I, I preached back in Arkansas and Oklahoma one summer. I went to Tulsa, Sepulpa, Fort Smith, Seminole. You follow. Went in all those places, Van Buren. I'm back there preaching, 19-year-old boy, holding meetings. And we were going together. And she had to write me. Or we'd talk on the phone, and we had no money. You know what? Letter writing looks good when you're broke. Ten-cent stamp can get it there. And I was amazed... Uh, I think of her, she still has her mother's letters between her dad and mom when he was in the war, World War II. Carolyn still has those letters she got from her mother. And, and Carolyn would write me, and I'd get it. And uh, something used to always bug me. She'd always start with, how are you? How am I? Don't be writing me a letter asking how. Tell me how are you. Tell me what you think of me, baby, baby. <laughs> I mean, I smell the perfume. 
the perfume said midnight in Richmond. <laughs> and so I, I, I said, I'm reading along, and she was never verbose about affection. Very, if this girl said she loved you, it was worth a hundred cheap ones. Yeah, I love you, I love you, I love you, baby. No, 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 no. She prayed over it a week before she said it. I'd get these letters, and finally she'd say in there, I miss you, and I'm reading in between the lines. She sure is. She knows she's got a good man. <laughs> you know, you're reading in between the lines, and, and I, I love, and then finally she said, I love you. I thought, ooh, yes, yes. Now, was that her voice? It really was. It just was written down. And I still have those letters. God decided he'd write you a letter. And he's saying, come to the mercy seat. The lamb is alive. This mercy seat is not dead. This mercy seat has already atoned the Father. And he's saying, if you'll come to me, Randy Oste, I don't care how many drugs your mother was on. I don't care how bad your daddy was. I don't care how much drugs you were doing and all your sin, your unfaithfulness, your low-down character. You are a louse, and you need mercy. And he said, I come running. I come running. Some of you don't make this just a religious day that you came because your mama said she'd fix you dinner. We're feeding the family today. If you feel led to slip me any money, let me know. <laughs> They'll eat me out of house and home. No, 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 no. You, you want to come to the mercy seat. Jesus is that mercy seat. If you receive him to as many as receive him. And Randy, he preached the sermon. He's already preached. Are you tired? Come to the mercy seat. Do you think God's tracking you down? Do you think the bounty hunter is on your trail and going to arrest you for eternity? Guess what? Jesus posted the bond and it's paid. It's paid in full. Come to the risen lamb. Come to the risen lamb.